broadcast of Catechism of the Catholic Church in a year. Today is day number 180, and we begin with number 1348. All gather together. Christians come together in one place for the Eucharistic Assembly. At its head is Christ himself, the principal agent of the Eucharist. He is high priest of the new covenant. It is he himself, he who himself, he himself who presides invisibly over every Eucharistic celebration. It is in representing him that the bishop or priest, acting in the person of Christ, the head, in persona Christi, capitas, presides over the assembly, speaks after the readings, receives the offerings, and says the Eucharistic prayer. All have their own active parts to play in the celebration, each in his own way. Readers, those who bring up the offerings, those who give communion, and the whole people whose amen manifests their participation. The liturgy of the word includes the writings of the prophets, that is, the Old Testament and the memoirs of the apostles, their letters and the gospels. After the homily, which is an exhortation to accept this word as what is truly is, the word of God, and to put it into practice, come the intercessions for all men, according to the apostles' words. I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all men, for kings, and all who are in high positions. The presentation of the offerings, the offertory. Then sometimes in procession, the bread and wine are brought to the altar. They will be offered by the priest in the name of Christ and the Eucharistic sacrifice in which they will become his body and blood. It is the very action of Christ at the Last Supper, taking the bread and a cup. The church alone offers the pure oblation to the Creator when she offers what comes forth from His creation with thanksgiving. The presentation of the offerings at the altar takes up the gesture of Melchizedek and commits the Creator's gifts into the hands of Christ, who in His sacrifice brings to perfection all human attempts to offer sacrifices. From the very beginning, Christians have brought, along with the bread and wine for the Eucharist, gifts to share with those in need. This custom of the collection, ever appropriate, is inspired by the example of Christ who became poor to make us rich. Those who are well off and who are also willing give as each chooses. What is gathered is given to him who presides to assist orphans and widows, those whom illness or any other cause has deprived of resources, prisoners, immigrants, and in a word, all who are in need. The Anaphora. With the Eucharistic prayer, the prayer of thanksgiving and consecration, we come to the heart and summit of the celebration. In the preface, the Church gives thanks to the Father, through Christ and the Holy Spirit, for all his works, creation, redemption, and sanctification. The whole community thus joins in the unending praise that the Church in heaven, the angels and all the saints, sing to the thrice holy God. In the Epiclesis, the Church asks the Father to send his Holy Spirit or the power of his blessing, on the bread and wine, so that by his power they may become the body and blood of Jesus Christ, and so that those who take part in the Eucharist may be one body and one spirit. Some liturgical traditions put the epiclesis after the anamesis. In the institution narrative, the power of the words and the action of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit make sacramentally present under the species of bread and wine Christ's body and blood. 
his sacrifice offered on the cross once for all. In the anamnesis that follows, the church calls to mind the passion, resurrection, and glorious return of Christ Jesus. She presents to the Father the offering of his Son, which reconciles us with him. In the intercessions, the church indicates that the Eucharist is celebrated in communion with the whole church in heaven and on earth, the living and the dead, and in communion with the pastors of the church, the Pope, the diocesan bishop, his presbyterium, and his deacons, and all the bishops of the world, together with their churches. In the communion, preceded by the Lord's Prayer and the breaking of the bread, the faithful receive the bread of heaven and the cup of salvation, the body and blood of Christ, who offered himself for the life of the world. Because this bread and wine have been made Eucharist, Eucharisted, according to an ancient expression, we call this food Eucharist, and no one may take part in it unless he believes that we, what we teach is true, has received baptism for the forgiveness of sins and new birth, and lives in keeping with what Christ taught. Father Jack. Thanks, Bill. You know, uh, as we kind of gather steam into this teaching on, on the Eucharist, and we look to what the liturgy does, right, or how the liturgy is done, right, what the movements of the celebration are, rather than take a ton of time with each part, which is so clearly seen in the Mass, right? Each part of this is, you know, none of this should be completely new to us. Um, but rather, it might be helpful to look and see where the church or the catechism is drawing its teaching from, right? If you look at the footnotes, there's actually kind of a, a kind of a relatively significant pattern to it. There's, uh, it mostly comes from three sources, not, not exclusively by any means, but almost without fail, it comes from the, the institution narratives, John chapter 6, 1 Corinthians, so these three scriptural places. And then St. Justin actually is quoted twice out of the about 10, um, 10 footnotes on the, in this, or roughly 10 footnotes in this section. And, and there's a reason for that. One, these are the strongest teaching on, on the Eucharist and what, it's, what the true presence really is, but it also helps to really kind of open up what we believe within that. St. Justin is an early uh, martyr and philosopher and apologist, and, and he really does well to kind of give a very early account of what the Eucharist is. And we should kind of hear hints of, or or I should say, the seedlings of, of what we believe, um, rem- reminding ourselves that Justin's writing, St. Justin is writing almost you know, within a generation of the Gospels being written. I mean, he, I think he dies in, uh, I want to say 115 A.D. And so we're talking very early in the church. And he's responding to to the pagans who um, are accusing Christians of being, you know, atheists, which is always amusing to us now. Um, but he, when he talks about um, how, when someone is to receive the Eucharist, he, he gives a couple, he gives three moments that each person has to do one is has to believe what we believe two has to receive baptism and three has to live in accord with christ that those three things still apply today the first is we it's 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 meant to be a sign of physical unity this this all this moments of the celebration come to this conclusion of of this is an expression of faith and we're not going to go into that because it's been talked about other other places in the catechism but the the eucharist this sacrament is done because of what we believe. The second is that it, you have to physically manifest yourself as a member of the community, and so baptism is, is the means in which we do it. And then the last would be 
that we live in accord with the way Christ has taught us to live. Now that, that is, you know, it's not a sufficient definition, but at a minimum that means living uh, free from mortal, free of mortal sin. This is a great thing for us to kind of say like, wow, this isn't some, you know, medieval Renaissance addition to the church teaching. This has been sitting in, in the life of the church since the very beginning. And all of these movements have that ancient history. All of these movements go back to the very beginning of the church. This idea of the presider taking up, you know, the collection for the purpose of the, of, of providing for the greater good. They, uh, the reopening up of scripture, right? We can kind of hear echoes of it in Acts 2.42, where they devoted themselves to the breaking of the bread, the teaching of the apostles, the prayers, and uh, and the fellowship that we have, and then the Didache, a very similar way, that all of these particular moments that we see in the Mass today have been celebrated for about 2,000 years now, that this is not not something we have great control over in a very positive way, but rather it is our handing over in faith to the faith to what God has revealed, the faith of the church, that so we give ourselves over to the ever-living community of believers, and in doing so, we receive great benefit from it. If we don't allow ourselves to hand, to be handed over to uh, what what God has revealed, well, then we're not worshiping him at all. These movements allow us to say, this is yours. My life is yours. My movements are yours. My uh, preferences are all handed over to you, God. And in doing that, we give that great act of worship. We offer our thanks. We, we beg of him his continued mercy and that he would hear our prayer. That as we look to the Eucharist, we should see in the Mass, in the celebration of this liturgy, that, that it is God's work being done. And this is how we participate in his grace.